Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. going through this series called Rethink, and I don't know if you guys have sensed during the early parts of the series that Mike, you know, Mike has been sensing this, like, we need to rethink what it is that uh, we're doing as a church, and not that because what we're doing as church isn't working or it's not the right thing, but it's requiring us to go to another level of understanding what God's mission is for us, that it's easy to kind of just get in the routine of things and kind of just make, making sure that things are rolling along, get people integrated. But this is a series in which we need to rethink what it means to do what we're doing, not so much that we would change things, but so that we would actually make sure that we're in sync and in line with what God wants for us to do. We don't want to be brainless, mindless uh, 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 religious people, that we want this sense of freshness, that we're following after Jesus in every single thing that he wants us to do. And so that's why we started this series, and it's a book, uh, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's no coincidence, there's no coincidence, like this is, there's coincidences in life that happen, and people try to convince us that it's God, but I'm convinced that this, there's no coincidence that um, I am preaching through these passages these next couple of weeks, um, because when we were planning out this sermon series at late summer uh, last year, uh, we had no clue that our family would be transitioning away from Trinity Life Church. And we had no clue that I would be preaching these weeks. And so it is so much of a God thing that I get to preach through these passages these next couple of weeks. And you'll see in a minute why. You see, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter that we're going through, um, uh, specifically, obviously, this passage, but this letter to the church in Corinth because he was the founder of this church. He founded it, uh, he started it with a handful of people in Acts chapter 18 is where you get the background of how the church started. But he started um, the church with a handful of people and kind of like the early days of Trinity Life Church, for those of us who were there three and a half years ago, some of the people were religious people and some of the people were not religious people. And Trinity Life continues to be that way. Some of you guys grew up in church, some of you guys, this is your first time ever being a part of a church community, and we love that. Like, we celebrate that, and we hope that that will always be the case. That, as a matter of fact, if you come from very little to no religious background or a broken, you know, and you have tons of baggage or you have no baggage, um, that no matter what your background is, that, you know, I want you to know this to the point where we made a slide this, that you are welcomed here at Trinity Life, that that is our heartbeat, that you and your questions and your background and your struggles are all welcomed here at Trinity Life Church. And that's what the early church in Corinth was uh, founded with, was a group of people that were very much like us. And like us, they continued to share the message of Jesus to the city, and they grew. Now, here's the interesting thing. Paul only stayed with Corinth six months. 
Uh, he only stayed there for them, with them for six months. And then it says in Acts uh, uh, chapter 18, people like Tidius Justus and Crispus, which these are all Greek names, they had to step up. They actually began to lead the church after Paul left. And that's how the church grew, because it wasn't dependent on Paul. Eventually, a smart guy named Apollos, he came along and he began to help them and teach them and instruct them. Apollos was a disciple of a couple from Corinth, Priscilla and Aquila. They actually met Apollos. He was actually a great speaker. And they said, hey, you're so good at speaking, but your theology is a little bit off. And so Priscilla and Aquila came alongside of Apollos, and then he began to teach the church in Corinth. Paul says, and we heard this, uh, Mike talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that Paul planted Apollos water, but... God gave the growth. And so people have different roles. And Paul was the planter. Paul was watered it. But God gave the growth. And this is the pattern of Paul's ministry. He does it again in Philippi. Philippi is the church, first church in Europe. And then he does it over and over and over again in Asia. And perhaps the most famous church that Paul started is, any clues? What's the most famous church that Paul started? Trinity Life? No, no, no not Trinity Life. <laughs> Jesus started that one, but not. Paul started a church called the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. So the book of Ephesians, Paul started that church, uh, and that letter is to that church. And he stayed there the longest. He stayed there for three years. This is the longest that he stayed anywhere. People think that he planted between 14 and 20 churches in his lifetime. Acts 20 records the scene when he leaves that church, and he and the elders, they're crying, embracing, and kissing each other. And so it gives evidence that probably in Ephesus, Paul had his deepest, most profound relationships, because that's the only time you get that Paul had a hard time leaving. Now, I'm no Paul, but Toronto has been like Ephesus to us, and you guys have been our Ephesians, and we love Trinity Life Church, and we love you. I think in my letter to you guys, I said that we love you the way that we love our children. It really feels like that for us. But I really do believe that as we take our next step, that the best years of training life are ahead of us. As Mike and our leaders continue to lead us, that really the things that we pray for, the revival, the change lives, change communities, you guys will get to experience all of that that we get to hear about in the next few years to come. So if you're new to Trinity Life, this is probably a pretty awkward sermon this morning, especially if this is your first time this morning. The preacher's talking about leaving? Yeah. But actually, if you're new to Trinity Life Church, this is a fantastic time to be a part of this church. You've come at a really great time. Uh, if you're still trying to figure out your faith, if you're still trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian uh, or what it means to believe in God, that this is very much a place that you will fit in. If you've been with Trinity Life for a while, um, you know that you're the owners and the older siblings in this house. And sometimes you have to do heavy lifting. Yeah, sometimes we have to do heavy lifting as the uh, older siblings of a household. But did you know that, that that was what Jesus did? Jesus was a heavy lifter. And every time you feel like you're doing heavy lifting in this house, it's because you're being like Jesus. Jesus does heavy lifting so that he can create space to grow the family. And so oftentimes we will do heavy lifting as members of this family so that we can create space to grow this family. That's what Jesus did. So I want to say thank you for you guys who are giving, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week effort into this church. That Thank you. You have made this church 
what it is. And I hope that by the time the end of the sermon that you get a little glimpse as to what God has in store for you as you continue to, um, to lead and serve in our church. Um, but as I'm winding down our last uh, couple of uh, weeks here at Trinity Life Church, and it sounds so foreign to me to say that because I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. I mean, I'm going to do a lot of verbal processing with you guys, and if I'm off, kind of a little bit off, I apologize. But when I say that, you know, as I close out my time at the end of this month, it just sounds so weird for me to say that. But I know that I've been prayer that God's given me one goal. I have one goal, one really, my job description for the next three weeks is this, is to encourage you towards maturity. Mature. Keep growing. I want to share with you how God is leading the Yangs as we kind of go throughout the next couple of weeks into our next ministry assignment. But more importantly, I want to share with you how God is positioning Trinity life. God is literally positioning Trinity life for greater maturity and greater effectiveness in bringing the hope of Jesus to Toronto. He literally, in this moment, you might not feel it or maybe you feel all of it, but he is literally repositioning this church for greater maturity and greater effectiveness in Toronto. And I want to walk through this passage this morning and point out three things of how I'm observing that that's going to happen. And the three things that we're going to look at is how to build on the foundation. Secondly, is how to build with excellent materials. And thirdly, how to build for the future. First thing we'll look at is how to build on the foundation. And Paul says this, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one of you take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And Paul's using a construction or an architectural analogy of how a local church body should be built. Don't be confused. Paul isn't saying that a church is a building. We all know that. Trinity Life has never thought of ourselves as a building-based church. It's nice to have a building, especially in cold days like today. But we are not a building. A church is a people. We are a people. But like a building has a foundation, so does people. A people group has a foundation. And for the church, the foundation is beautiful, and it's wonderful, it's powerful, it's loving. It is the most stable thing, and it is not code religious doctrine. It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. It's not a pastor. It's not a church planter. The foundation is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the way that Jesus built and is building Trinity life is that he is the head and we are the body. As a matter of fact, we write it into our legal documents that the, literally in our membership, if you've taken our membership class, who is the senior pastor of Trinity Life Church? Anybody know? Come on, give me that Sunday school answer. Jesus, yeah. It's literally written to our documents. Jesus is the senior pastor of our church. As a healthy body, we listen to the head, Jesus, and we do what he tells us to do. Now, the Christian life, the Christian, your life is not primarily about a relationship, an individual relationship with God. The Christian life is primarily about a group of people and their relationship with God. It's a bit of a paradigm shift, but that's the reality of the New Testament. It's primarily about the relationship of a community in God. That's Christianity. When we talk about Christianity, it's not individual belief in as much as it is a communal belief with God. And so when a group gathers to hear, trust, and obey God, we have a church. And so your body life groups are just as much a church experience as it is coming here on a Sunday morning. 
So when you're listening to the head, not just for yourself, but for others in community, Paul's using a term called builder. You're a builder, and that's a term that we'll use every now and then. A couple of weeks ago, we had builder's orientation, that Christians are builders and not just spectators. Christians are builders and not just spectators. If I come to Trinity Life to listen to God for myself, I may be spiritual, but I'm not necessarily a builder, all right? But if you come to Trinity Life to listen to God for other people in addition to yourself, now you're a builder. Now you're building up the body. of. Do you see, do you see the, the picture there? One person comes to listen for themselves. Oh, you're a very spiritual person, but that's not what Paul's saying that we should be. Paul said you come to the bodies to build the body. You listen to God for other people. That's the life that God, that Jesus came to give to us. That's what it means to be a Christian in the body of Christ. So being a builder isn't about church attendance or volunteering. It's not about that. Being a builder is about the maturity to know that you have a role. You're mature enough now to know that I have a role in God's mission in this city. I'm not just living life accidentally, that I have a very specific role in the way that God is bringing glory to himself in this city. From this passage, I want to ask two things of us, and I'm going to do a lot of asking over the next couple of weeks, but today I want to ask two things of us from this passage so that you can grow in maturity as well. The first thing I want to ask is that you would release the yangs to do what God has graced us to do. Some of you guys are like, I did that a long time ago. <laughs> No tears. We, we, we shared the news with somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago. No tears, no emotion. It was kind of like, okay, I guess you don't like us. Uh, <laughs> um, but for the three of you that are having a hard time, uh, release the yangs to do what God's graced us to do. Paul says that according to God's grace, he was skilled like a master builder laying foundation. Paul had an apostolic call. And to a much smaller degree, God has given Lena and I an apostolic call. We lay foundation. We always will. Everywhere we go, that's what we'll do, is we'll lay foundation. And in this next season, God is calling us to learn how to do it more effectively in our ever-changing culture. For the next few years through a PhD, um, like most of you guys know through our letter, I'll be researching, researching how to do evangelism in a world that's increasingly becoming post-European and post-enlightenment. So that means like absolutely nothing to a lot of us, but what does that mean? It means that the world is changing so fast and our church can't keep up with it. Like society, the culture is changing so fast and our church response, like, I mean, I won't say who, but we had a religious leader uh, who leads a large, huge evangelical organization made some statements in the last few months. You're saying, dude, like, are you from the 19th century? Like, that's not how you should think about what's happening in the world today. And so our world is changing so fast and our churches aren't, we're not keeping up with that change in a sense that we aren't, just looking around you, just think about how culture has changed so fast and how irrelevant the way that we talk about God, the way that we talk about faith, how irrelevant we've become in certain spheres of society. And so part of what God's called us to do is to begin to understand that more and begin to equip the church at large in how to do that. It means that people around you are spiritually hungry, but we don't know how to feed them. Have you ever felt that frustration? Where you know the majority of the people in your condo building, the majority of the people in your block have very little 
desire to know anything about this book or anything about that God, and you have absolutely no clue how to connect with them. Doesn't that disconnect create a little bit of, ah, we need to do something. We need to equip the body of Christ, right? So there's that disconnect right there that the Lord has called us to step into, and he's saying, you need to help the larger church try to figure out what does it look like for the church to be equipped to minister in that space. And that's what God is moving us on towards. It means that while the Western church is trying to still prove the existence of God, culture has already moved on to more complex questions than that. That we still have a 19th, 20th century way of doing apologetics and the culture has already moved beyond some of those things. So as much as some of you guys will miss us, um, you have to release us to what God is gracing us to do in our next season. And I just want to say thank you for those of you, uh, for all of you. I, I don't think I've had one person come up to us and say, oh, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? By and large, all of you have been so encouraging and faithful and praying for us. And I just want to say thank you. It makes us feel so supported and affirmed in the direction that we're taking as we move forward. Secondly, from this passage is that each of you should take care Take care how you build. Do your part well. It may look small at first, but small is never insignificant. As a matter of fact, something small done well is better than something big done horribly. Paul says, take care how you build. The original Greek word suggests carefully doing something physical that carries into an unseen realm so that other people can give a reaction that's the idea that Paul is trying to communicate. You're doing something physical. It may seem small, like you're setting something up. Like, let's say, you know, we had some people set up bagels this morning. You set it up. And you're doing something physical. It translates into, like, an atmosphere, an environment. Other people step into it, and they have a chance to respond. This is a theology of serving, by the way. When you serve at Trinity Life in a very practical way, it creates an environment and an opportunity for God and people to interact with each other. And in that interaction, they can actually respond to God. Serving in the body makes this possible. Do you know how many people have spiritual conversations around coffee about how they belong, or hey, how did you hear about this church, or hey, which BLG do you go to? And you know, you never stop to really think that coffee facilitates that. That's such a weird thing. Like God, like coffee facilitates you meeting people. We've had at least half a dozen to a dozen of you guys who have been plugged into our church for the last year and a half or so because you literally saw a broken A-frame sign outside and you decided to pop your head in. And somebody set up that sign out there in that physical task of doing something physical. It translated into an environment in which people had an opportunity to respond to a God and to friendships. And so serving makes that possible. Paul says, take care, be very careful, be very intentional, be very mindful in how you do that. So if you've stepped into our community within the last uh, year or so and you haven't served regularly yet, I want to just invite you into that. We're going to give you an opportunity later to learn more about how to do that. But I just want to put that invitation out there that take the next step in creating atmospheres and environments for other people to step into it so that they can respond to what God is doing as well. 
Secondly, Paul talks about how to build with excellent materials, build with excellent materials. And this is what he says. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. In this passage, Paul's talking about the excellence of the materials used for building this community. Build relationships with excellence. Don't treat relationships around you kind of like, eh, I've already got enough friends. I don't need, right? Build your relationships with excellence. When somebody's reaching out to you, reach back. When you're having coffee, even though you're just kind of like, you know, doing this superficial thing, treat that with excellence. Lead with excellence. If you're a leader in our community, do it with excellence. Serve with excellence. You know, Jesus was never flashy or slick, um, but he was never shabby or cheap. And so when I say excellent, I'm not saying professional, and I'm not saying be a perfectionistic, but Jesus always did things with excellence. He led his relationships with excellence. He was very serious about every relationship in his life. He didn't spend the same amount of time with everybody, but he took every relationship and made sure that he spent the right time with everybody that he could. In fact, I want to commend to you a passage of scripture that's very near and dear to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not super professional. I'm a bit actually kind of like ghetto at times the way that I do things, and it's just a, that's the hood in me. It'll never leave. Um, but this passage pushes me to a higher excellence. It says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Excellence will take you to places that even talent can't take you. When you do something excellent in this community, in your vocation, in the way that you lead your relationships, that will take you to places that if you were 10 times more talented, even your talent couldn't lead you there. But your excellence, your attitude, your seriousness in which you bring to it, your tenacity, your intensity, your integrity that you bring to something, that gets you there. And that's what the proverb, were, proverb writer is trying to say. The temptation to do shabby and cheap work in the church is very strong. It's very strong. Why? Because to many people, the church is another volunteer organization. We live in a city where, do you realize that our city looks at us, and they look at you, and they see a volunteer organization. That's how they think about you guys. And so we have the temptation to, to, to treat this like a volunteer organization so we can afford to be a little bit shabby and a little bit, you know, kind of like cheap in the way that we do things. But if you understand that the church is not a volunteer organization, but we are building an authentic, life-changing movement, then you cannot be a cheapskate. We can't afford to be a cheapskate if that's our job. Shabby work lacks integrity, and what happens is that it repels serious-minded people. Again, don't hear me say professionalism. Like, we have no smokes, we have no laser, um, you know, we did have salmon for some bagel bars, but not everything. <laughs> uh, but, but when we do things in a shabby way, and again, don't hear me just saying like, you know, the Sunday morning service, but our BLGs and our relationships and the way that we engage in St. James time. But when we do things in a shabby way, guess what happens? Serious-minded people will see it, and it repels them. It repels them away. 
And so if you're a leader type, if you're, you consider yourself a leader type, I want to give you a, a tip that it's been my experience, this is not biblical, this is just my observation, it's been my experience that the way to attract and retain high-capacity leaders into your ministry, your group, your work, whatever it is, is to first push, your, push yourself to become one. If you want to attract higher-capacity leaders into your environment, you have to push yourself to first become one. And so let me tell you this, that if you hold a standard for yourself and belonging to this church, others will surely follow. Just hold yourself to a standard. Just, I'm just man, I'm going to make sure that my contribution to this community is quality. That we're not saying 15 hours. We're not, that's not what we're saying. Just you have to know in your mind that the work that you put into building an authentic, life-changing, transformative community, that the effort you're putting into it is quality. And when you do that, others will follow. Now, that message is for those of us who have been a part of the church, but for some of you guys, you've been, you're the one that you were turned off by the slick church that was trying to, you know, wow you by their presentation, but give you very cheap reasons to believe in God, and that's not what this church is about. It would be nice to have smoke and lasers, but we'll probably never invest in that. That's not what our church is about, and we're not knocking that necessarily, but if you've ever been turned off by the slick presentation of religion and you stepped into it and you just heard the reasons for faith and you were just like, those two don't equate. We try real hard at our church at least to, to, to not try to, we're not trying to trick anybody. Our church is filled with very smart, honest, hardworking people. Um, you guys are. 98% of you are. <laughs> um, we are filled with honest, smart, hardworking people, and the furthest thing from our mind is that we would try to trick anybody to believe anything. Like that's, not, that's not what we're trying to do. There's no emotional manipulation, nothing like that. Because we know that even if we could do that, even if a church could do that, that if you could trick people into feeling something or believing something, that it would never last. That trickery would never last. That's the point that Paul's making here in this passage. And that's why you can trust the Bible, because the Bible is actually saying to Christians, stop tricking people. All you can do is be honest about who you are and what you believe. You can't be slick enough to try to, to trick people. And so Paul talks about how to build with cheap and fraudulent materials, and I want to kind of use those uh, classifications. This is not from the Bible. This is me, all right? But I want to give you three cheap and fraudulent materials to look out for. The first one is wood. And again, there's no, you're, you're not going to look up in the Bible and find this, like I made this up, right? Uh, but wood represents pragmatism. And pragmatism is this, methods that are naive and maybe too mechanical. If you just read your Bible every morning, God's going to give you, right? So again, I'm not knocking that particular voice, um, but I mean, naive and mechanical methods, right? Attitudes that are reactionary and shallow. Uh, easy answers to cultural questions that are not time-tested. These are the effects of pragmatism, and sometimes pragmatism can get people in the door, but it will not accomplish what we call discipleship, teaching people how to hear trust and obey. And then there's hay. Hay represents stinginess. And you're saying, how, well, how does hay represent stinginess? I think of hay as kind of like the filler. Like, eh, we don't have enough of something. Let's just stuff it with hay. And so you're cheap. You're stingy That if you use like hay to build stuff. And so this is the Ebenezer Scrooge attitude. It pretends to be called a good stewardship. I'm like, I'm, I'm a good steward. 
Um, but really, stinginess actually is the attitude that stops mission and prevents others from meeting real needs. When you're not generous, you really can't be the church that God's called you to be. In the long term, it stunts growth and mission. Stinginess will literally stunt growth and, and, and vision. Like, I'm going to be so angry if in, in five, six years from now, I come back to this church and Mike is still kind of like, yeah, you know, I get paid part-time and all that stuff. So I'm just saying, I've had this conversation with, with our board. <laughs> but take care of Mike. Take care of the leaders. Like, God is giving us so much. He can only give to you what you're using. And this is, this is for you. This is for your family. This is for your own personal finances. That if you are not using what God's given to you, it's hard for him to give more. So don't be stingy. And then strong. Strong represents fakeness. And so you can't build a genuine, authentic, life-changing community if you're fake. Because fakeness encourages fakeness. And fakeness never transforms. I'm not saying wear your heart on your sleeve and show everybody. Say, look how wounded I am. Look how wounded I am. I'm not saying that because you can't do that to everybody. But there's a sense in which God gives you real a chance, an environment to be real with, with people, that's our only hope for transformation. God can't transform what's not real about us. Does that make sense? I want to talk about what are excellent materials. What are excellent materials for building? And the first one is gold. And to me, gold represents pure motives. And when you build with a pure heart, it's hard to ever be disappointed by the failures of other people. When, you're, when you love somebody so much and you're investing into them or into something that's helping them, it can be disappointing sometimes when they respond in failure or when they respond in neglect. But when you do it with pure motives, it's hard to be disappointed. And when you fail, people actually see your motive and they're much more able to forgive you when you fail them. Silver. Silver represents endurance. You don't quit under fire. You shine. The more you put silver in fire, it shines. You inspire people to a higher level. And when people see you dedicated to removing obstacles, when they see you doing the hard work, they want to come alongside of you. And then lastly is precious stones. And this represents unity, and we're going to spend all of next week talking about this. Lives built into each other to create a building, a temple, a castle for a king. People are attracted to friendships that are overflowing. Do you know the secret to our church in this city? God bless this church. Amen. Exactly. Perfect timing. Yes. I told you, that's a prophetic word. God is blessing this church. Thank you, brother. And the way that he'll do that is the more knitted you are, because the friendship that you experience is so attractive to people. It's like little orphans standing outside of a windowsill looking in the house and saying, could that be mine one day? And when you build with precious stones and you allow yourself to experience those relationships we have as a family, it becomes so attractive to the rest of the city that even if they don't believe what you believe, they're going to want what you want. And when they want what you want, they're going to ask questions about how you got it. And you share with them what Jesus is doing. Lastly, is build for the future. Paul says that if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The honest truth is that Trinity life may last 100 years, but God's kingdom lasts forever. 
Your career may last 40 years, but your calling will last an eternity. And so Paul puts this challenge in a perspective for the Corinthians. He says that if you lay a foundation on Jesus, everything you do will be worth it in the end. If you serve for any other reason, if you lead or if you devote yourself to anything for any other reason than Jesus, it's going to feel like a stinking chore. But if it's for Jesus, in the end, it'll be worth it. Paul says that God rewards you for the work that you do for his kingdom. But it's not productivity. God's not a result. He's not looking for better results, right? That's not how he gauges it. God's looking for your heart. He is very interested in your heart. You see, Christianity doesn't say that if we obey, God accepts us. Other religions might say that, but not Christianity. Christianity says that because in Christ Jesus we've been accepted, we'll obey. And it's a completely different paradigm. It leads to two completely different kinds of lives. One leads to joyful faith. Because I'm accepted, I obey. That leads to joyful faith. The other, I obey to be accepted, leads to dry religion. And the secret to Christianity is that joy in faith is a matter of a long-term perspective. It's you just know that it, there's a payoff. Imagine if you have two different people. Imagine there's two different people. And one person you say, hey, I'm going to give you $10 million to create widgets. At the end of the year, I'll pay you $10 million. They're going to come in and work every day, super excited, probably a little bit earlier, wishing every day was daylight savings time. And they're going to knock it out of the park. And they're going to work hard. They're going to do it with a smile on their face because they know 365 days until the payoff. If you told another person, I'm going to give you $10,000 and you're going to create widgets, eh, they're probably going to come in late. Like, they're not going to enjoy their job. They'll probably get to, like, three months. You know, if they're a millennial, they'll get to three months. I'm just joking. Uh, they'll get to a certain point. They may even quit. Two different perspectives on the same work. In Christianity, Jesus isn't just our foundation. Jesus is the reward. Jesus is the $10 million. And for those of us who know that secret, that it's not a claim, it's not even a good thank you, the secret to our work is that Jesus is the $10 million. For those of us who know that, it's easy to come in and do little things. The widget making that we have to do in the kingdom of God, that's easy. $10 million, priceless, easy for me. Jesus saves you from the fire, Paul's talking about here. Paul's not talking about hell, by the way. There are other parts about the Bible that talks about hell, and Paul's not talking about hell here, though. It's the fires of anxiety, purposelessness, aimlessness, meaninglessness. It's the fire of not knowing whether or not your work counts. And Jesus gives you the clarity now to know that everything you do will be worthwhile one day. You can be sure that all your work in this church and in your career, in your vocation, is never in vain because Jesus is the $10 million waiting for you. And when you realize that Jesus is this to you, you will never mind making widgets, doing the smallest tasks, and building God's church. As Lynn and I stepped away, or as we made the decision to step away from Trinity Life, like I said earlier, it was the hardest decision. I think this is the first week in three months that we've not cried about this decision, just to let you know how much we've struggled with it. But through much prayer and tears, God gave us a lot of comfort about the future. 
He's promised us that nothing from our time with you, nothing, nothing will be wasted because we truly built on Jesus. And I came across this um, <clears throat> quote from a leadership expert named Robert Clinton, and it gave me a lot of confirmation about our decision, and I hope it gives you confirmation how God's leading you. And Robert Clinton says this, leaders must make decisions about life and ministry which flow from their understanding of who God has made them to be and for what God is shaping them. And these decisions will lead them to effective, purposeful lives, which in retrospect will, seem, will be seen to have been focused lives. But it is not a self-seeking, individualistic choice of life, but a seeking of what a sovereign God is doing, His purposes. I've been in Christian vocation just as long as I've been in secular vocation now, about eight years each. And I realized this, that my changing throughout secular vocation and Christian ministry has never changed. My calling has remained constant through the whole time. And that calling is to follow hard after God in the way that he's designed me. Follow hard after God in the way that he's designed you. And when I build everything in my life around what God has given his life for, there's no chance that I would ever live an unpurposeful, uncalculated, unmeaningful life. This is the life that Jesus has given to you. If you lack focus and purpose this morning, it could be because your focus is on yourself. Your eyes were not fixed on the foundation, but it's fixed on you. If, if, if you feel a sense of aimlessness, it could be perhaps that God is disorienting you so that you would reorient yourself around his biggest building project, what he gave his life for, and that is the church. When you build for you and not for God, and you're a Christian, nothing in your life makes sense. But you see, Jesus, Jesus didn't serve himself. You guys know this. He came to serve God and he came to serve us. And that's what he did. He gave his life not for his own benefit. He did it for your benefit and my benefit. And I just wanna challenge you, challenge us this morning as we look at the next couple of years of our church. What has God put on your life to build his kingdom here at Trinity Life and here in this city? Because I, I guarantee you, until that becomes, not, not the building for Trinity Life, but until you can build your life around what God is doing in the kingdom of God, as a Christian, you will always be frustrated with what you're doing. You'll always be. You'll never, you'll have the highest paying job, and you'll always be frustrated with what you're doing. The only time your heart will find home is when you're doing exactly what God is doing, and that is, He gave His life for his bride, the church. Let me pray for us. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.